And we welcome you inside another episode of the Hoop Ball Sacramento Kings podcast. Sam Comente here with you, alongside, as always, the incomparable, the all-knowing Jill Adge. And joining us on this lovely Friday afternoon is a, a voice and a face very recognizable in Sacramento in, in Kings media. It's ABC 10's own. It's now, or previously, 1140 KHTK Radio Man. Was them was there for a long time. I'm pretty sure you started as an intern there. I'm testing myself on how much I know about you. Uh, and then also the host of the Locked On Kings podcast. It's Matt George. Matt, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Sam, it's a pleasure to be on with you and uh, chat with you for the first time. And Jill, you know you're my OG. I love talking with yes. you, so I'm excited to be on. Yes, and it's uh, and for those that don't know, Matt is recently a dad. Congratulations on your little boy Arthur, I believe. Thank you. Uh, yes, sir. So, so cute. Very cute and not much time that Matt has. So the fact that he could sneak us into his schedule is uh, quite the compliment, I'll say. So we're going to dive right in and we got no time to waste. We are going to start out by reviewing the King's Sons thriller. I'll say it as a thriller, early season thriller from Wednesday night. Jill, I got to point out real quick before I ask Mac, Matt what he thinks about this game. I said, if you remember, I was so close. I said the final score was going to be 112-107. Sacramento would win. Sacramento, of course, the Kings did win. It was 110-107. God bless you, Harrison Barnes. Um, but I was very close. I will not say anything else about the score because, as I had warned you, if I got it spot on, I was going to never shut up about it <laughs> like it was some huge accomplishment. But, Matt, uh, I, I hope you were able to watch most of the game. It, it was wildly entertaining, to say the very least. Uh, Absolutely I think- it was. No, Jill, I'm actually really interested to hear, Jill, your thoughts on this because you we, you, you've seen hundreds upon hundreds of games that were somewhat like this, especially in the first half. And I tweeted out afterwards, this went from a Luke Walton called it gross first half. And this went from just a ultimately like a game that we've seen way too many times before over this playoff drought and especially a lot last season. It went from that to one of the best Kings wins in recent memory. And it was a complete script flip uh, from the, the the first three games of the season, right? Yep. With the Kings having a terrible first half, following it up by a second, uh, a great second half. And I'm honestly balancing the amount of, I'm concerned, excuse me, I'm concerned about the first half with how excited I am by the second half that this team was actually able to make adjustments. And the big thing that stood out to me, both Sam and Jill, I, I wonder if this stood out to you guys as well. Like it wasn't, they didn't change their philosophy a lot. It wasn't Superman efforts from some guys. I mean, Buddy Heald had 14 points in the third quarter, which is fantastic. Harrison Barnes has just been Harrison Barnes all season. The team was just more physical. Like that was really 100%. The difference. They didn't, yep. They didn't reinvent the wheel on offense or defense. They were just being more physical, being more handsy on defense, getting more transition opportunities. And then in half-court offensive sets, they were attacking the rim with purpose, leading leading to good looks on the perimeter. They weren't just settling for mid-range jumpers or or three-point jumpers. I mean, I just thought it was a change in physicality, and we couldn't get anything from the players or Coach Walton as to who said anything at halftime. They kept saying it was a group, it was a group. I I guess I'll believe that, although I imagine there was a coach or a player or someone that lit into them a little bit and said, hey, we need to stop being such pushovers here. As soon as the Kings came out with that intensity in the second half and the willingness to battle they were toe-to-toe with the Suns and did enough to steal the game yeah and it looked like you had the Suns essentially for the sulk the whole second half on their heels right like 100 the Kings were the enforcers and we had kind of said that going in at halftime was to me um 
I tweeted out that like that was the one thing that was lacking for me throughout the whole game was the the physicality and if they could bring it they would give themselves a shot and they finally did and and like you mentioned it it was a, a total flip from the first three games and that's part of the problem with this team is it's like they still haven't figured out how to do it at least three quarters or, you know, even four, like I'm not even asking to be perfect, but if they can figure out how to be a little bit more consistent, you know, a lot or find an average in there somewhere. Um, but I'm happy that they, they did show they could do it because I agree in years past, this team wouldn't have come out and been able to show that physicality. I mean, it's how many years have we seen games where they come out and they just get completely blown out. And then you're seeing, um, the end of the bench super early on. Granted, we don't really have the end of the bench guys because they're all with the G League right now on assignment. Um, so that would have been interesting in and itself. Uh, but yeah, no, it. Buddy came out firing. Um, Harrison was doing his normal stuff. Um, it was nice for me. I thought Fox showed a little bit more on the defensive side. Um, where it, the, a lot of the first half, I felt like he was getting beat off the, you know, by one dribble, like it was Olay away again. And as soon as that happens, they go down. But as soon as they start being physical again and getting in people's ways, it's, they're in a game, they're in every single game, they're doing that. So at one point, if it can ever click for them to do it um, a little bit more consistently, I don't know. But again, I'll take the win against these good teams, you know, it doesn't have to be pretty for me at the end of the day, <laughs> I'll take the W cause they aren't easy to come by. But to me, the big test too, is coming up with the Pelicans who are, have started with the bad start. Like these are the games they need to win, right? Like we know going against the jazz and the Suns, like we had said this, we're not the better team, but if we can steal that win, hell yeah. Um, but you should be better than the Pelicans right now. So you need to go take care of business. This isn't going and stealing when this is take care of your business. So it's, can they do this here now while you have a team going through injuries and new coaching and not looking cohesive um, will be, will be to me, one of their first big tests of the year, regardless that it's not, you know, one of their top opponents. But to me is we keep saying, we'll see this team turn around if they can start beating the teams they're supposed to beat. So this to me is the first real test of the season. It would, it's unique because and Matt touched on this. It's kind of like the inverse of what the Kings have been doing. It was a terrible first half. The first quarter I was wanting to gouge my eyes out. The ball movement was non-existent. Nobody was uh, moving themselves. Everyone was just five out. Maybe Rashawn Holmes at, at the top of the key, but nobody was doing anything. I was watching the game with my dad and my dad goes, do they know how to play basketball or what's happening? And I was like, welcome to being a Kings fan. We think about that quite a bit. Do they actually know what they're doing? Is Luke Walton even doing anything? Uh, but then in the third quarter specifically, they came out of the locker room. They were down by eight, I believe. And they went on a run and they outscored the Suns 29 to 15 in the third quarter. That's what gave them that huge cushion going in the fourth to resist the rally that we think we all were expecting to come from the Suns because they're a good team. They're playing at home. We knew they were going to come back. You knew they were going to fight back, but they had created enough of a cushion. And again, God bless Harrison Barnes for being on the team because they were able to finish it off and get the win. It's still lacking the complete team effort, though. That's what's frustrating. I'd rather do it this way. I don't know about you guys. I'd rather start like shit and then finish strong. That's, me. Sure. that's how you want to yeah. do anything. I'd ra- it's not about how you start, but how you finish. Yeah, I hear but that, Sam. Matt, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Really quick. I, no, go I, ahead, I hear please. that part because I do hear that like you'd rather finish strong and I get that you want to have momentum going into the playoffs, if anything. But Tristan Thompson pointed it out and I think it's absolutely accurate to point out like at the beginning of the season, that's when teams like Utah, teams like Golden State, teams like the Lakers, that's when these teams are catchable. That's when they're beatable because Tristan says like and he knows he's been on the Cavalier team that made some deep runs. Like it's usually not till December, January time, these teams start to get into that regular season form and figure it out. So if you're in a hole early on as a a team like Sacramento that's on the cusp and you wait for the other teams to get going for you to start to get going, you can have a good performance that still isn't enough. So sorry to cut you off, Sam, but that's that's what my mindset is with this early season. No, now I'm going to clarify what I said. Um, I I meant like in the game itself. It's a matter of. It's how it's not necessarily how you start, not in the season in general, but in the game itself, it's more about how you finish the game, right? Yeah, I agree. You don't, you can't get in a hole. You're not that. You'd rather them close out the game. Yeah. The second half be the strong half of the game. Yes, exactly. Got it. But Matt makes a good point. Yeah. You, you want to catch these good teams, which the Kings are facing like every good team. It seems like to start this, you know, these first 10, 15 games. Yeah. Catch them now while you can, while they're figuring out what they're doing and get wins, steal wins, if you will. But definitely we're looking for that complete effort. We're looking for consistency from tip off to the final whistle. We haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Sam, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off there. I no, didn't realize Matt, that you're here to cut me off. Game. No, but it, it, you, I mean, you're, you're right both about correct. the game too. You're you, both correct. Yes. You do necessarily, you, or you do definitely want to finish strong in a game itself because guys, how many times have we seen? We saw it a number of times last season. I remember one game in particular against the Portland Trailblazers in Sacramento last season, not that home court advantage mattered. You're playing in front of cardboard cutouts, but the, the Kings had a big lead built on the, uh, the Portland Trailblazers last season. And that evaporated quicker than it might have even been in the fourth or the first uh, first quarter. The Kings built like a 15, 17 point lead or something like that. By the end of the quarter, it was down to like two or three. This Kings team is notorious for building leads and watching them evaporate. And we saw that to some extent uh, in the fourth quarter uh, of, of the Suns game the other night. But the good news is. It's not just the Sacramento Kings that this happens to, especially early on in the season. I was watching Bulls and Knicks last night, and the Knicks had a 10-point lead on the Bulls with like two and a half minutes left, and the Bulls actually had a chance to win the game at the buzzer and just a terrible yeah. shot by DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. Um, so, but in the, like, it's yeah. it's not just Sacramento. I think the same night as us, it was Minnesota and the Bucks. Like, it's, yes, it's it's very there. But the thing it to me is more so, don't don't give it up based on the careless turnovers, like the self-inflicted turnovers. Yes. I, it, to me, it's much more palatable if it's another team is just playing as good as you are right now, like where it's it's our self-inflicted <laughs> wounds that we're that we're giving ourselves, which to, are, are the most frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, so clean that up. And it seems like you're going to give yourself a much a much better shot. Doctor, what you just said, Matt, just to make this comment, because uh, it's there, it's like an alley for me. Why DeMar DeRozan was taking the final shot, I will not, I, I will don't. never. Why was it not Alex Caruso? Alex, it's it's the Alex Caruso show. Give, I joked about this with my buddy who's a Bulls fan. I was like, why was Caruso not getting that ball? Like, ball in Caruso's hands, baby. Let him win the game. I'm kidding, though. But DeRozan is an interesting choice. You had a mid-range shot from him, which is like, that's his, that's his game. But, I mean, that was like, it was just such a bland, eh, type of, Final shot, like drawn up play by Billy Donovan, who's one of the smartest coaches in the in the league. I, I, that's going on a different tangent. We're not a Bulls podcast, but I mean, like Lonzo, Vucevic, I, they have a lot of good players. Levine, the guy, oh, there. yeah, or Levine, or Levine. I totally spaced on that. The guy who should be taking every final shot. Good point. Kind of a slap in the face to Zach Levine as I think about it. 
uh, I want to ask you, Matt, the um, things that Jill and I have been honing on, obviously, the, you know, the lack of finishing a game, uh, the second half collapses. Everyone's been talking about that for the Kings. We've also been talking a lot about, and I know a lot of other people have as well, the lack of bench production from this team early on outside of Buddy Heald, who had 26 points, seven three-pointers. seemed like all of them came when the Suns were starting to fight back. Buddy just had that clutch three, which is once, once Buddy gets going, you know you're not going to slow him down. So Buddy had a great game. Nobody else really did anything off the bench. Alex Len in his revenge game, if you will, mm-hmm. 10 points, two threes. I don't think I've ever seen Alex Len shoot a three. My mind was blown. No, he, well, that was like what he was kind of touted as when he first came in was oh, like, really? he could be the a stretch, a stretch big that he could this. shoot it. But I mean, yeah. it hasn't been consistent by any means, but no. you take that production all day, any day. The quarter three like that every game. Yeah. Quarter threes look good. No. So my question to you, Matt is what, I mean, like, what are your thoughts? How do we fix this? Does Terrence Davis need to get pulled from the rotation? He was of seven. On Wednesday, are we giving up on Terrence Davis? Are we trying to give Ramsey some run from the G League? I don't know. It's too early, obviously, to make those kind of calls. But what's the solution or what are your thoughts on the the lack of bench production from this team? Well, you pointed out Terrence Davis, and I think that's a, a big thing. And I'm actually a big believer of Terrence. I like Terrence a lot. And I remember after his first really good game, I think it was against Portland, uh, during uh, during preseason, I asked him, like, look, you, you've been known in the past for being streaky. And he immediately starts nodding his head like he's heard this before. He understands this. And he said that he's working on trying to be a lot more consistent um, of a player. And that's something that he's been trying to focus on. And then here we go. It's feast or famine with him again. And it's been famine to start this season. So uh, it, it clearly still does need work. But Terrence Davis does provide more than just straight up shooting. Like I compare Buddy Heald to Terrence Davis and I give Buddy the edge as a shooter Um, and it's not just an edge. Maybe it's a significant gap now based off of what we've been seeing, but I know Terrence Davis can provide more outside of shooting than what he has providing. I thought Terrence Davis was a much better defender last season than he has been this season. He has been really bad defensively, uh, this season as well. Uh, and he hasn't really done, he hasn't really had any, or made an argument for himself to really be on the floor. So I think a big reason for that, that scoring drop off with that second unit is because Terrence Davis uh, is, is struggling so much, but I look at the offensive issues and guys offense is supposed to be a strength, the strength of this team. So much so that we heard Luke Walton, we heard the players say, now we're not worried about scoring. We're focusing on defense. We know we can score. We can score with anybody. It's been the offense that has let them down for the majority of this season so far. And whether it's the starting unit, the second unit, like all my ask defensively this year was to put yourself in a position defensively to be able to win games with the offense that you're so confident in. And in every single game this year, the Kings have done that. And in three of them or two of them, almost three of them, the offense is what let you down. Uh, And yes, a lot of that has to do with the bench production too. But also I think some of it has to do with the lack of consistency from both De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton when they're on the floor together, they're both struggling to score. And even when they're staggered and one's in and the other's on the bench, they're not as aggressive as I like. Like we saw De'Aaron be much more aggressive in the second half of the the Suns game. doesn't surprise me that that led to success for the Kings, but it was less scoring for him and more uh, playmaking opportunities. And he finished with nine assists, which is fantastic, but you need that scoring total for him to get over 20. And then the biggest criticism of Tyrese Halliburton's entire career, even going back to college was that he has been a little too passive and not aggressive enough looking for his shot. So I look at it as a, a compliment, uh, compilation of everything. Cause even though they're not considered bench players, usually one of them is on the floor with the bench unit and we're seeing scoring drop off. Like you pointed out, Sam. 
Yeah. And, and these guys continue to say they're not worried about it. It's just them getting, you know, used to their new roles, um, how learning how to play alongside, right? Like Sam and I mentioned last podcast that yes, this is by and large the same group, but they're being put in new positions with each other. Right. And so, um, I'll accept that for now, but at some point it, they're going to have to figure it out. Like it's, we know this, um, four games in still, um, yeah, keep figuring out, but it's going to have to turn at, at some point. And especially against games like this, right. Where we say that, are you going to, are you going to play down to your opponent or are you going to show up and handle business? So, um, again, uh, with this Pelicans game, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, and, and a team with some length, right? Like they have some good size to them. So yeah, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be a test. They, uh, definitely told Fox and Halliburton in this, before this last game, shoot, please, please shoot. You like be more aggressive. Fox was seven of 20, uh, 20 field goal attempts by Darren Fox. Only 18 points, and I say only 18 is fine, but yeah, when you're shooting 20 times, you would hope for a little bit more. Uh, Tyrese shot the ball a little bit more efficient. Tyrese 11 times had 15 points, two threes. I think he looked more comfortable. But yeah, Matt, it's it is frustrating because you know his skill set is so there; it's already there. It's not like he needs to keep tapping into it. it. It's present his ability to score, but he it's it's not that he doesn't believe necessarily. But you're right; he's passive. That's not where his mind is first. He's such a team central, team first guy. That his first thought every time, even if he's wide open, is like, mm, I'm going to pass it to someone else. I'm going to try and hook up another teammate for a bucket instead of take the bucket myself. And it does get a little infuriating, especially when the offense is struggling, because, dude, if you have the shot, take the shot. Don't, you know, and, and say thank you. Or don't say anything. Actually, just say, I'm going to fucking do my job. Like, you don't even need to apologize to anyone. Just be aggressive. Be Tyrese Halliburton, the guy that we already love. Uh, but I, I was encouraged by the, the, I guess, progress, if you will, that De'Aaron and Tyrese took in this last game. Yeah, overall, the, the step forward has been good. I think one play in particular really stood out, which was De'Aaron attacking the basket in the fourth quarter, kicking out to uh, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, fadeaway three in the corner. He yeah, was really pushed that was out of That was a big shot, and those were the shots that he was hitting a ton at the start of last season, and I felt bad for him because he was hitting a lot of those in Golden 1 Center, and they would have absolutely erupted for him, erupted. but he, got, he didn't get the <laughs> response that he needed. That's the Tyrese that the Kings need, especially in the fourth, uh, the fourth quarter. Of course, they could use more from the Aaron Fox. And I, I know a lot of locked on Kings listeners look, uh, listen to the Hoopball Kings podcast. So they're going to roll their eyes at hearing me say this again, but I'll say it time and time again, if, if De'Aaron Fox is only fair or fine, the Kings are going to lose. He needs to be at worst good yeah. and hopefully great. A majority of the time, those are actually pretty much his own words that he said at the end of last season. And, and the, the Phoenix Suns game, he just managed to squeak out a good game because like I said, he had those nine assists in addition uh, to those 18 points. And a lot of those assists came in the second half. So he was able yep. to impact the game outside of just scoring the basketball. But going back to Tyrese Halliburton, fourth quarter scoring, all eyes defensively are going to be on De'Aaron Fox. They're going to know that Fox is going to try and get downhill. There are going to be a lot of opportunities for defenders to, to switch on him or to crash on him. And we're seeing that time and time and time again. And for some reason, Fox still isn't getting to the line as much as, as we expect him to, but also still at the line, to be honest with you, he still is failing as a free throw shooter. So yeah. that's where you need guys yeah. like Tyrese Halliburton to step up and hit those big corner shots and take them without hesitation and with confidence. And we saw that, which is excellent. That's where I expect Buddy Heald to do Buddy Heald things. Terrence Davis, if he's in the game, to shoot with confidence. Hell, if Alex Len gets a kick out three, put it up. 
Uh, and Rashawn Holmes was just so important uh, in this win as well. We just are starting to get used to how consistent the guy is already. He's still a bargain contract, even with the one the Kings just gave him. Uh, and in addition to that, Rashawn Holmes, the best thing about Rashawn's game against Phoenix is he stayed out of foul trouble, which allowed him to play in the flow of the game and not have to worry. Uh, so that was a that was a big difference there. But in the end, it's more of a, I look at it like an offense by committee thing. Of course, De'Aaron's offense needs to be better. And he goes on, or the Kings go only as far as he takes them. But if the committee, uh, committee is there be- behind him and we saw a majority of the players scoring in the second half, not just one or two guys, it's a night and day difference for this team. Yeah. yeah. And w- one interesting thing I saw was there was someone posted a stat and it was like the top 10 free throw Um attempts shooters per game uh i think there were only two that maybe their numbers had not dipped Mm -hmm. down so you know at at some point i'm wondering too if if fox just if we have to accept that that just might be how it is now i mean Mm -hmm. if they're putting such an emphasis on um you know not accepting certain calls anymore that uh he's gonna have to make adjustments right that where those being used to those numbers coming there, he's going to have to figure it out on how he can get those numbers elsewhere, you know, somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, I, I did think it was interesting that it, you know, cause we rely so much on, on Fox doing it, that it is very much a league wide thing right now that the top 10 out of the top 10 players, and they were pretty significant dips too. Like it was, some of them were like three to four attempts per Dave game Harden. down. Yeah, Harden so, was seven to um, three, which is fantastic, by yeah, the way. I'm so that's happy great that for the Harden is cheesing it. And so, um, yeah, so these guys have to have to kind of figure out. But and and the thing with Fox too, like I feel bad is to me, he is getting hit. Like I mean, it, it's not like he's not getting hit. They're yeah. just not. He's they're not up. calling it. So his, his, um, his shoulder has been hurting him. He's banged up already. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that that it'll be interesting to see if those numbers stay consistent or if, you know, it kind of bounces back up as the season goes along, depending on the officiating. But um, yeah, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. Before we move to the, the next little segment here, I, I just I want to throw a grenade on this whole discussion. Uh, bold take, if you will. If Marvin Bagley was in the rotation and coming off the bench, I think the bench production would look much, much better. Just oh. saying offensively yes defensively Offensively, no right no absolutely you gotta take you gotta take him for what he is though right matt yeah right now and this is just something that literally popped in my mind thinking about how you can improve the bench production you have a guy sitting on the bench who's 22 years old who when he's at his best he's like a double double machine and offensively is very very strong i understand he's not good defensively that's why you put like a tristan thompson next to him but I, I don't know. I'm just, if it really continues to struggle, well, Tristan Terrence hasn't Davis, been playing good defense either, but now if you're putting Len. Lennon, you're putting sure. Lennon and he's doing his job. Like that's, um, can score but, but that's part of, but that's part of Luke's problem is having to balance yes. the offense and the defense. And we've seen in previous years, they didn't care about the defense and it was all about just scoring buckets, right? Like it's, it's, there is a fine line now where, and so I see people make comments about Mo Harkless. He's not flashy. But the guy is one of their best defenders. Like he, he's not in there to score baskets. He's in there to stop and be physical. And so that kind of irks me too, when I see it and it's like, oh, well, why the hell do we have him out there? And it's like, if you actually look, he's doing exactly what's being asked and exactly fulfilling his role on this team of not 
of not giving the offense. Um, so it, when it comes to the bench, Luke has, it's, it's a fine line of, of how you pair it play. offensively and defensively. And, and I think he's done well so far. I will say based on matchups, he has been mixing and matching guys. Um, and I think to me, he's probably going to have to continue to keep doing that. So based on, um, the matchups as we go forward, but, you know, but he has shown that he'll put Bagley in, right? Like, and he produced in that first half and then he did it in the second and he got pulled pretty quick. Um, should some other guys be pulled pretty quick at times? Maybe, um, you know, that's, that's a whole nother discussion, but at least he has shown that he's right. He's willing to, to put him in there. Um, what do you think in, in need of a spark? So, yeah, Jill, Mo Harkless is in the game in the starting lineup because he's next to four guys who can score, and if they're playing well, should be able to score more than enough to make up for him. And at the same time, too, he'll still give you six, eight, ten points on a fairly nightly basis, and that's all you need out of the guy when he's providing that that defensive production. So if people have been complaining about how bad the defense has been for so long and then are complaining about Mo Harkless getting minutes, I just don't know what to tell you at that point. Right. Um, in right. terms of Marvin Bagley, <laughs> Sam, I'll listen to Marvin Bagley getting playing time off the bench if Terrence Davis isn't playing well and you're replacing Terrence Davis's yeah. production. I, I know Luke Walton doesn't want to go to a 10-man rotation. He wants to stick with a nine. I agree with sticking with a nine because that means Fox or Halliburton are usually on the floor at all times. Although sometimes Luke will have both of them off and I'm always a little confused by that. But like Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley's in the game. He's coming in the game to help you score. And maybe that's what you need from your second unit at some point, if you're trying to work your way back into the game, but at the same time too. Yeah. Marvin did get minutes in the, um, in the jazz game. He got minutes because Mo Harkless wasn't available. Um, he comes in and he looked fine. He looked okay, but still on defense, he looks like he is looking around, not sure what to do. And I think that's the reason why he's not getting these minutes and is not part of the rotation right now is because Maybe it's not his fault because he hasn't gotten that much playing time because of his injuries over his career. But he, the rest of the team, I see reacting on defense, not thinking. He thinks on defense and then reacts. And a lot of times that's a step too slow. So I'm not trying to bag on Marvin Bagley here, but I'm, I'm a-okay with him not being in the rotation as of right now. Although you're right, if you need scoring, Bagley would have definitely be getting you that as a 22-year-old uber athlete coming off the bench. Yeah, I guess I should have paraphrased that if Davis continues to not score. Sure. You sure. really only other option is um is is to shift to the other guy that can score on offense, which is Marvin Bagley. Uh we're gonna do a quiz real quick, Matt. This is this is your time. This is what I teased to you in the beginning. Uh and you, again, I think a man of your status has seen this already. But since 2018, 2019. Since Dave Yeager and the 39-win Kings, that illustrious, amazing season that the Kings had, at least it was amazing for me because it was the only success I've ever enjoyed. It wasn't even success. They didn't make the playoffs, but like I had fun. Uh, the Kings lead the NBA in game-winning buzzer-beater shots. They have six of them after uh, Harrison's on Wednesday. Can you name for me, Matt, starting in the first one in 2018 till today, who those five people were that hit those game-winning shots and, if possible, who they shot them against? So I have seen these. Yes, uh, I have seen this, but I ha- I don't I haven't memorized them. I'm actually going through memory. Uh, I know Buddy Heald has two of them. He has the Denver one and the um, Detroit one. Correct. Beautiful. Yes. Uh, correct. Manya Bielitsa has the famous uh, one with the Rockets. Yeah. Harrison we fucking Barnes, earned this. 
Yeah, Harrison Barnes is two now. He has the Phoenix one, and then he had one last season. I can't remember who it was against. Cleveland. 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 At this point, now I'm I'm uh, now I'm searching a little bit because I'm trying to remember. I I don't remember the first one from 2018. I don't remember Fox having one. Nope. The the tip dunk in Miami doesn't count. Um, God, I don't know. I know you know you know this, and you're gonna be like, oh my gosh. Okay, give, give me the player, and I, let me see if I can remember the moment. I'm just going to give you um, – Just say against the Lakers. Yeah, I was just going to say Luke Walton's old team. Oh, bogey. Freaking heck, man. There you <laughs> go. Bogey step back over Tyson Chandler, of course. Beautiful. God, that, that feels like so much longer ago than 2018. Doesn't it? Yeah. God, that was the first one lifetime. in 2018. Very well-drawn play, too, by Dave Yeager, knowing that Walton's team liked to switch. So he – in my opinion, this I, I don't know if he ever actually came out and said this, but he drew it up in a way that – it got bogey switched to where Tyson Chandler had to go out on him. Obviously advantage bogey, but bogey, it didn't matter who was in front of him. He was just hurling it up there the minute he caught it. Yeah. And he uh, still had to shoot a rainbow and a half just to get it over Tyson oh, Chandler. Who's a freaking tree that yeah, seven one. So yes, it's bogey first 2018, then buddy against Detroit where he ran out of the arena uh, belly. Fuck it. We deserve. This was the line against Houston healed last year uh uh against denver i believe i think you're right i don't know why i'd not it's the tip in against denver correct it's it's like the very beginning of the season it's the call game run buddy run that uh we run buddy um that's right it just throws me off because the date was the day before christmas eve the 23rd but that was when the season started uh and then barnes cleveland and now barnes again against phoenix so barnes is on a little bit of a tear right now in terms of these game-winning shots but very good. Four out of the five you had. And I do believe without question, you knew it was, you knew it was bogey. It just wasn't That's registering in the brain. Man. How did I forget that one? It's the best one. It is the best. I, I, if I were to rank it, I don't know how Jill feels. I would definitely put it up as number one in terms of, especially considering it's the Lakers and we always love to beat the Lakers. Uh, okay. So very good. Very good. I think Jill would have been five for five, not to make you feel bad about it, Matt. Oh, no, but she hundred percent would have been, she'd be six that, for five. She'd come up yeah. with another one that nobody realized. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually and then a bonus <laughs> question. Um, that's why I didn't ask you. I asked you. Okay. Kings Pelicans tonight at five o'clock. Kings are in New Orleans in Norla or Nala facing the one and four New Orleans team. Willie Green, new coach, no Zion. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is still out there. Well, he's now on New Orleans, just got traded this offseason, but he's still out on the court, just like bruising, throwing dudes around, um, making a fool of Patrick Beverly. I don't know if you guys saw that video. Hilarious. Patrick Beverly. Picks a fight with everybody because that's what he does. And tried to oh, pick a fight yeah. with uh, Giannis. And he was just like, dude, what? Get out. I could crush you like a buck. And like shoved him away. Uh, pretty funny just because I, I I would. There's no one I would want to mess with in the NBA less than him. And we can ask Tremezi Metu about that as well, which is an interesting storyline to, to think about today. Are they going to retaliate? Is Alex Lang going to throw some hands? I don't know. I'm, I'm spinning stuff here. Anyway, the keys to today's game. <laughs> I just I hope someone sticks up for Tremezi in some way. It could be very subtle. I don't care. But that was that was crap. Uh, keys to the game tonight, Matt. We'll start with you. Ideally, Jill said earlier, this is almost like a trap game. You know, you're coming off this high of beating a great team in Phoenix. Now you face a team that's not playing well, has uh, no Zion, doesn't have their best player. You should win this game. It's the first time I've said that all year. They should win this game. How do we make sure they win this game? 
I mean, key number one to me is just 40 good minutes. I don't necessarily look at it at quarters. I'm going to look at it at minutes. Give me 40 minutes of what you're what you're capable of, and then eight minutes of, oh, crap, we're screwing up, because you know the Pelicans, it's basketball. At some point, the Pelicans are going to make some kind of run. But right. the one the mindset that the Kings have to have going into this game is these are the games that, like Jill said, and like you just said, Sam, that, that the Kings should be winning. These are the games the Kings need to win to cement themselves as either a solidified play-in team or in another tier from those play-in teams, which is the ultimate goal uh, when everything is said and done. But also the Pelicans are looking at this schedule the same way the Phoenix Suns are looking at this game and going, we need to get right. The Kings are coming into our building. This is a perfect opportunity for us to get right. And I know the Pelicans are, are thinking the same thing looking at this Kings roster. And the Pelicans, they have a lot of talent. They haven't been playing very well. Uh, and they certainly have some things to figure out. But the Kings are an excellent team to jump on in your own building to try and get yourself going. And if the Kings have a first half uh, like they had against Phoenix, the Kings were lucky that they weren't down by a boatload. And it was because of really Harrison Barnes and Alex Len, the Kings weren't down by 15, 20 points uh, around halftime. The New Orleans Pelicans have the capability of putting the Kings down 15, 20 points at halftime if Sacramento comes out as slow as they do. And at the same time, with the majority of what we've seen this season, if the Kings come out well, the Pelicans have more than enough capability to close that gap in the third and fourth quarters. So a full 40 minutes as, as much as possible. Truthfully, it, I'm, I'm not asking for this team to do a lot more than what they've done even in the losses. It's defensively keep providing enough to put yourself in a position for your offense to win the game. And that's all I'm really asking for on a nightly basis. And so my bar might be too low with the Kings defensively because you, you look at their rating and you look at their numbers and you still see close to the bottom half or in the bottom half of the league. But also you take away the fourth quarter, the Kings are very much in the top half of the league. Um, you can't mm-hmm. really pick and choose stats like that. But like defensively, all I'm asking is for this team to just continue to be consistent enough to make things difficult, to keep yourself in the game. And then offense, your strength, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, finish the game. That's really what I'm asking for again out of this game against the, uh, the Pelicans. And then one more thing to slide in because it pissed me off uh, in the Warrior game. When the big uh, guns of the Pelicans aren't in the game, you should be obliterating those lineups. It doesn't matter who you are better. You have the better depth, obliterate those lineups because you can't be outscored like you were at the start of the fourth quarter against the golden state warriors, 17 to 13 with both Steph and Dre on the bench. That can't happen against a team like the Pelicans. Amen. <laughs> yes. Uh, totally agree there. Uh, I would say physicality, the whole game, Yes. not just, um, for a half, right. That especially against this team, um, and Val being there, like come out physical, don't, don't get, you know, pushed around, set the tone, right. Like set the tone early. This is, this is how it's going to be and keep it going again, eliminate the unforced turnovers. To me, that's, that's been one of their biggest things through the four games, which I know it's common throughout the league right now, but if you can, clean it up a little bit more every game, you know, as, as you go along, I want to see that. So the unforced turnovers, and then uh, I want to see Tyrese uh, be a little more, um, I don't even want to say active, but I want to keep seeing that switch for him where he's a little bit more aggressive. So to me, those are my three, Um, especially because they do have some other injuries. Uh, I think I saw 
Garrett Temple was going to be out possibly no, Sadoransky and then Hart. They're still trying to figure out like if he's going to be there or not. So again, guard, down guards, right? You're going to, they're going to be going against sec, first and second year players. Um, and so I, I, I want to see, you know, him uh, take charge there. So. Yeah, I didn't know. I was just about to make a comment about Garrett Temple, one of uh, my favorite all-time Kings players. But and an LSU, a Louisiana native, went to uh, LSU. That's a bummer. I didn't know he was hurt. He played in the last game. I should say that the Pelicans, as I'm saying, the Kings should win this game. They almost beat the Hawks in their last game at home. 102-99 to was the final score. They played the Atlanta Hawks, who are a very good team. They're off to a 3-1 start very well. And they do have, with even without Zion, and I guess in this game without uh, Sadoransky and Temple, they do have Alan Shunis. They do have, of course, Brandon Ingram. Devontae Graham is now their starting point guard. That guy scores in bunches. He's lightning quick. And then they counter when he sits down with Kira Lewis in his second year, the Alabama kid who is also lightning fast. So there's a lot of speed on this team. Also, um, Herbert Jones was a guy who I was hoping the Kings could snag in the second round this past year. Another Alabama kid. Yep. He's, uh, he's starting for them right now as like their, I guess, stretch force. Because he, he's, he's that heartless. Efficient. He's there to just yes. play deep. Like, that's his role. He's yep. a very well-rounded 23-year-old player. So, as I'm looking at this team now, Jackson Hayes is, is a good uh, backup center as well. Very, very lengthy and athletic. Might see a lot of Alex Len again. The team is struggling. And again, no Zion. They can beat you if you let your guard down. So, I guess my big key, if I'm going to throw one out there, would be to don't not underestimate your opponent. Forget about what happened against Phoenix. There's a whole new game against a team that you don't really know what you're going to expect necessarily. Just keep trying to do what you did in the last game, more on the emphasis of keeping up the defensive intensity, uh, getting breaking down the defenses. What they did so poorly in the first half against Phoenix was just not move the ball around or try to get in the paint. You know, the uh, Katie and Kyle were saying, like, you know, the perimeter defense was outstanding from the sun. It, it was, and they're a good defensive team. They weren't really putting in a whole lot of effort, the Kings, to try and get into the paint. It, it was very lazy. It was like, eh, I don't really want to. And then they kept swinging around the perimeter, swinging around. Now three seconds are left, and we're throwing up a shot that's not going to go in. So try to break down the defense, get in the paint, collapse everything, uh, and hopefully they can hit their threes earlier in the game. Yeah, I just looked. It did say Temple was doubtful. So ah. not officially out, but doubtful. And then Hart was questionable. So just, uh, yeah. Hart is questionable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, then there's He's a guy. Coming back. He hasn't played yet for right. the season. so That's a very big uh, bench player for them if he does end up playing. Yeah. Matt, you only shared one key, I think. Did you have any others you wanted to throw out? Uh, yeah, they kind of all melded together. That's okay. why I don't that's do what... the game on, on no, that's fair. podcast because I suck. Um, <laughs> Jill is 100% right about the physicality, though, too. This is a team in, in uh, New Orleans who definitely likes to be physical. Uh, so, yeah, f- uh, physicality is a huge one. Um, kind of a combination of just everything we said, but really it, it's a lot of keys in one, but just a complete team effort, taking care of the basketball uh, 40 out of 48 minutes. Like, like I said, um, and, and then I guess big, uh, big names become reliable. Like I'm still waiting for that statement performance from De'Aaron Fox. Cause even with his 27 in Portland, a majority of which he scored in the first half, it wasn't impressive. Um, so, and we know Fox can coast to 20 plus points per night pretty easily. He hasn't been able to do it so far this season. I think a lot of that has to do with him trying to figure out playing alongside these guys, but like, I'm, I'm still waiting for that deer and Fox takeover. So hopefully that can be it tonight too. Yeah. Uh, a stat I forgot to throw out about Harrison Barnes, the, the hands down MVP of this team so far 
is his stat line, which is unbelievable through four mm-hmm. games. 27 points, 10 rebounds. So he's averaging a double-double. I didn't realize he was getting that many rebounds a game. And then two, uh, two assists. He has a better stat line right now. Just going to say it. Better stat line than LeBron James. So um, make, take with that what you will. I'm going to go ahead and just assume that Harris Barnes has officially surpassed LeBron James in terms of skill set. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I obviously don't mean that. This is going to be a very high scoring game, though, unless you guys think otherwise. I mean, I see no way in which this game doesn't just two teams that are going to be very good at scoring the basketball that defensively might have a lot of lapses in judgment. Again, the, the Pelicans are under new coaching. They have Willie Green, who's never coached, was only assistant for a couple years under Monty Williams in Phoenix. So you're going to see a lot of the same offensive sets, I would imagine, that you saw against the Suns on Wednesday. It's the same philosophy, same mindset from this guy, Willie Green. So th- this game is not necessarily appealing on paper, I, I-, I guess you could say, because it's the Pelicans. But this could end up being a shootout if, if the Kings aren't too careful about it. Uh, no, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I- I'm just I'm a little concerned about that just because you, as, as much as we hear the strength of this team is offense, the offense has not looked cohesive at any point. And to if a, a team like Port or uh, New Orleans is going to beat you, it's because you're playing kind of into that shootout with them. There are other teams more dangerous that you face that could have beaten you via shootouts like Portland uh, or uh, right. Golden State. But I mean, Brandon Ingram is still very, very much a lethal weapon. There's still a lot of talent uh, on this New Orleans Pelicans team. So honestly, I think if the Kings play with the defensive effort that they've played with for the majority of these games so far this season, they'll put themselves in a solid position Um to, to win this game. If they let off the gas defensively a little bit because Zion's out and this team isn't as strong, like you said, Sam, underestimating your opponent, that's where I think this team can get jumped on. Yeah, that's my fear. Uh, okay, let's get to the final segment here. Friday show, we want to treat everyone. We want to treat Matt for joining us with the, the, the best thing we have to offer on the Hoop Ball Sacramento Kings podcast, which is Jill sharing her fountain wealth of knowledge that she has. It's Jill's water cooler. Jill, uh, you tease it with me again before the show. I've been thinking about it nonstop. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I, the last one for people that didn't listen was like taking everything up a whole nother level in a little basketball history lesson and, and teaching us how barbaric basketball used to be at its very basketball beginning. Basketball was basically inside a, a UFC cage. Yeah, <laughs> it was basically just an all out brawl, which again, would have paid big money to see that. But today's is a little different. So go ahead. Yeah. Today is the theme is actually on um, fingers randomly. (laughs) So (laughs) there's two different ones of the, did you know? So did you know that when the Detroit Pistons won the championship, Rasheed Wallace had his um, ring made for his middle finger. So I can just imagine him walking around and just Mm -hmm. flipping people off. So I thought that was a pretty cool one. And then as well as, um, for anyone that follows like coaching or player development or hires and things like that, Houston just hired Gerald green uh, to be a player development coach there. And I don't know if some people know this or not, but he was one of the, I I think two, at least based on what I was fine um, players that had been in the NBA that had played with nine fingers and had a long, a long career where he had, um, lost his uh, ring finger in a dunking accident when he was, um, I don't know if he was in high school or college, but he, he lost it. It got messed up in the rim and uh, yeah, he, he ended up playing his whole career 
in the NBA with, with nine fingers. And during one of the uh, playoff series, Phoenix Suns had a four finger like foam hand going up. And so Matt, do you know who the current, who a current player in the NBA is right now that he he says he has four and a half on a hand. He has four and a half fingers. One of the best shooters, actually one of the best shooters, at least in my opinion. And he's, and he's in the league today. One of the best shooters, only four and a half. So I'll go into the story, but I'm just curious if you, if you knew it's not, I mean, it's not Steph or clay, is it? No. I actually, I have no clue. I have no clue. Bertans lost half of his ring finger on his shooting hand in a woodcutting accident on his grandpa's farm when he was a little kid. Davis Bertans for the So uh, after he went, yeah. So he was on the Spurs, right? So we'll get into that. And now he's on Washington. Um, But his, when he woke up from surgery after that accident, like scared him, obviously. Um, his dad told him that his basketball career was probably over. Like that it's, it's, you now don't have a full, you know, five fingers and it's your shooting hand. So, um, it's, it's probably not going to happen. So he said that he ignored his dad and was like, no, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try and figure this out. Um, he said when he tried to come back, he was having a lot of trouble and he almost stopped playing. He was like, oh, well, screw it. Maybe I'll go play soccer or something like that. And, uh, being from Europe, you know, that would probably be the, the next best thing. And so he said, Nope, I'm going to keep going. So he said he had to obviously learn how to adjust and how some shooters, they feel the ball, you know, when you shoot it, it goes off your three, three middle fingers essentially. Um, but he had to learn how to do it with two. And so eventually it ended up happening a year later, a year later, he won a three point contest at a junior all-star game. And that solidified him that I'm going to keep going. So he became a Spurs draftee at 18, a EuroLeague regular at 19. Shortly after that, after the finger and everything, he went down with two ACLs. So this is after he's drafted, he goes down with two torn ACLs pretty consecutively. Took him five years to get over from Europe to join the Spurs. And ultimately now he's become one of the league's top shooters and got paid what two off seasons ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what once changed his life as a little boy, he, he adjusted, had two knee surgeries and with, as he says, four and a half fingers is one of the best shooters in the league. (laughs) I'm surprised. I didn't know that that's an awesome story. And that just speaks to resiliency of athletes just to get to that level. I do also have a random like finger thing. Uh, to to, oh, to add to this too. And it has to do with Willie Colley Stein. And I know this is public information, but a lot of uh, fans actually that I've talked about with this weren't aware of this. Um, Willie, it was a game that was played in Mexico City between the Kings and Boston Celtics. Willie Colley Stein goes up for a block and actually hit his finger uh, on the rim and it damaged one of his fingers really, it, 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 it hurt him. Um, and after he recovered from that, he straight up told the media that he was not going to try and contest shots at the rim and try and block shots yeah. at the rim again because he didn't want to hurt his finger like that. And I know with Willie Cully time, uh, Stein's time here in Sacramento, a lot of the criticism against him was his uh, inconsistency no. and his not willing to go the extra mile to make the extra play. When it came to blocking shots, that was the reason. That might make you more mad. That might make you understand a little bit. No, I'm more mad. Jamming your but that's a mental hurts. thing, but that's a mental thing yes. with, with athletes, right? When you come back from injury, it's, it's trying to get over that, 
Mm-hmm. Fear of it happening again. Mental block. So, yeah. Colley Stein, one of the most infuriating Kings players in recent memory because he's 7-1, could jump out of a gym, only averaged like three or four rebounds a game because yeah. he was, as to your point, Matt, just not really willing to do the dirty work that you hope a big man of his size will do. Uh, yeah, and I think what worked for, for Gerald Green was his was, you know, prior to the NBA. So he had plenty of time to overcome that that mm-hmm. mental that mental part, but even some people just never. Didn't he win a dunk contest, Gerald Green? Or he was obviously Mm -hmm. in dunk contest. Did he win? Only, uh, only person with four fingers to win. (laughs) There's another. That was a big thing. Yeah. That's terrific. (laughs) All right. Well, we got to have Matt return to dad duties. Uh, The bell has been rung. It's time to relieve his wife. So we're going to end as we like to do anyway, with that Jill's water cooler, much more uplifting than the previous one. That was again, more like dark age. (laughs) Uh, Monday or next water cooler, I'm sure we'll start to, we'll go to toes or, or I don't know, some other body part, um, and start talking about that. Now that we've established the finger concept, (laughs) thank you, Matt, so much for joining us. Go follow and listen to the locked on Kings podcast. It's one of the best that exists. And, uh, thank you so much, dude, for taking the time to join us today. Sam, Jill, I appreciate it. Love the hoop on Kings podcast. So I can't wait to come back on. Can't wait to listen always. Terrific. And then have a fun Halloween, Jill, have fun as wonder woman. I'm going to head down to Chico here in a little bit and have some fun in Halloween my, myself. So everyone have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Spooky season is here. Go Kings. Slater dudes.